the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The sermon text is in the 16th chapter of St. Matthew. In the 13th verse, Jesus asks his disciples, Whom do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He says to them, But whom do you say that I am? And in reply, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him in response, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Please stay tuned. I thank you for the, the pleasure and also the privilege of being with you this morning at St. Lawrence. Um, in going in my memory, the first time that I was here was in 1969 when I was a member of the Concordia Senior College Choir. And I remember a couple things about that choir tour. One was that for some reason, one of my choir mates and I were assigned to spend our evening in town in the parsonage with uh, Pastor Dieter Ding. Maybe the word got out that I needed some special watching. I don't know. And then secondly, Ich erinnere, dass wir haben in Deutschen Gottesdienst gesungen. Das war sehr schön. Some years later, then, I became pastor of a little congregation in southern Illinois, St. Salvatore Lutheran Church. The town was Venity, Illinois. And the first pastor in that little country town was Ottomar Fearbringer. And you recognize that name. Pastor Fearbringer left our little town, and he went to Freistadt, uh, Wisconsin, and then he came here, and his grave is across the street. Interestingly enough, Reverend Fearbringer's son, Ottomar, uh, served as a president of Concordia Seminary St. Louis, and then the next son, uh, uh, Ludwig, it was Ludwig, Ludwig, and then Ludwig's son, uh, Alfred, also served as president of Concordia Seminary. So, there is a historic tie between St. Lawrence and Concordia Seminary, and I thank you for that. And I bring you greetings from all of us at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and we thank you for all the partnerships over the, the decades and now in which we are engaged in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to say much more about the seminary except that right down there, embarrassed that I'm calling him out, is Roger Dow, who works with our seminary. Roger, would you stand up? And he is the source of all information about what's happening at the seminary. So you all just besiege him later on with questions. And especially if you have complaints, give him the hymn. I don't want to hear him. 
So now I go to work. In this gospel reading, our Lord asked two questions. The first is, whom do people say that the Son of Man is? That's a survey question. He wants to know what they're thinking out there. And then he narrows it down with a more important question. But you, who do you say I am? Now those two questions are the essence of mission. First of all, we want to know what's going on out there. But secondly, and more important, what's going on in here? Deep, deep down in your being, what do you believe about Jesus? It's not what the church teaches about Jesus. It's not what you understand you should say about Jesus. Deep in your being, what do you believe? So let me start with the first mission question, the survey question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? My wife and I watch TV, obviously. We like to watch sports. I am sorry to report to you that my Chicago White Sox lost last night to some local team called the Detroit Tigers. And then my wife loves to watch HGTV, and I watch it with her so that we stay married. <laughs> but we do watch a lot of news, and, and have you noticed that every time the news comes on, the uh, television anchor says, we have breaking news. Have you noticed that? I mean, it's always breaking news. I wish it would happen someday that I would turn on the TV news and the anchor would say, well, there's nothing special happening now. Let's go straight to the weather and sports. But that doesn't happen because you and I are living in a time when we are being barraged by breaking news. And it is changing the life that we live. And if you have a few gray hairs on your head, you know that life has changed drastically over your years. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? I have a book. It is called Barna Trends 2017. The Barna Organization surveys what Americans believe and they practice. Beginning at page 178, they share five popular beliefs about Jesus. To remember the mission question, what are they believing out there? Here it is, five popular beliefs about Jesus. First, the vast majority of Americans believe Jesus was a real person. Okay. Second, younger generations are increasingly less likely to believe Jesus was God. Now they ask that question, was Jesus God? The vicar knows that's wrong. Is Jesus God? But that's another issue. Was Jesus God? Most adults, 56% believe Jesus was God. 
But 56 means that 44% of the people out there do not believe that he is God. And have you ever had the thought, well, they'll come back when they get older? Quote, millennials are the only generation among whom fewer than half believe Jesus was God. Popular belief about Jesus number three. Americans are divided on whether Jesus was sinless. 52% believe that while he lived on earth, Jesus Christ was human and committed sins like other people. 52%. think he's sinless, 2% don't know. Popular belief number four, most Americans say they have made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Duh. What does that mean if you think that he has sin and is not divine? Five, people are conflicted between Jesus and good deeds as the way to heaven. The summary of this whole survey about what people in our society believe about the Son of Man is given by the president of the Barno organization. As much as, a, uh, as much of our previous research shows, Americans' dedication to Jesus is, in most cases, a mile wide and an inch deep. This deterioration of biblical belief has happened in most of our lifetimes. And the deterioration has been accelerated by media and technological advances. I cannot believe all the tech and communication changes that have happened in my lifetime. And what that means is that they are able to bring unbiblical ideas and teachings right into our own home and the home of our children. And our children spend more, in fact, frankly, we spend more time, I do at least, with media than I spend in a church. Ray Kurzweil works for Google, and he says the 21st century will be equivalent to 20,000 years of progress at today's rate of progress. And a man named Thomas Friedman writes editorials for the New York Times, and in a new book that he has written, he says this, the rate of technological change is now accelerating so fast that it has risen above the average rate at which most people can absorb all these changes. Most of us can't keep pace anymore, and that is causing us cultural angst. I can't keep pace, and I'd be amazed if you can keep pace with all the changes that are happening. And as I say, they are contributing to the deterioration of the biblical faith in which so many of us were raised. Everything is being impacted by what is going on all around us. Venerable old businesses are struggling to stay in business. Think Sears. Think J.C. Penney. 
The government is dysfunctional at many, many levels, and that threatens our physical safety. But since we are in church, this barrage of changes also is shaking the institutional church. All mainline denominations are in decline. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, it's on the toboggan slide as well. Every Sunday I am privileged to go to another congregation in our church, and I got to tell you, many of them are dispirited, down in the mouth, and a lot of the people who do worship look around and they see that the church is aging and it is shrinking. And so for this reason, a lot of people will say this is a bad time to be the church. And they will say, this is a bad time, Vicar, for you to be getting into the ministry. I have breaking news. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In Isaiah chapter 60, God says, Arise, shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, the church. For darkness will cover the people, and gross darkness the earth. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. A woman named Peggy Noonan was uh, press secretary to President Reagan, and now she writes a weekly column in the Wall Street Journal, and she describes the time that we are in. She had been rereading a book by Dean Acheson. Acheson was the Secretary of State under President Harry Truman, and as she read that book, she thought about this time that we are in. And here's what she wrote, everyone is in the dark looking for the switch. You know the feeling. Where's the switch? When you're in the middle of history, the meaning of things is usually unclear. In real time, most things are obscure. And then she quotes Atchison, only slowly did it dawn upon us that the whole world structure and order that we had inherited from the 19th century was gone. Everyone out there is in the dark looking for the switch. But Jesus is the light of the world. And in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. So that's the mission situation today. We know what they believe out there about the Son of Man. Now let's narrow it down. What do you and I believe? about Jesus. All these things that distress us, all these changes that we have seen in society and church are a blessing in disguise. And the reason is because they teach you and me deep down in our being 
to understand what faith really means. Think back 30, 50, 70 years ago. America was, quote, Christian America. Everyone knew that they were supposed to go to church on Sunday. Now, whether they went or not, that's another deal. Everyone in America, almost everyone, knew the Bible and the main characters in the Bible. Now, whether they read it or believed it or not, it's another deal. Everyone in Christian America knew the basic story of Jesus, that he's the Savior. He died on the cross. He rose again. And the church is all about him. I was told that recently there was a man on the street interview and the young person was asked, what is Easter? And the young person said, that's when Jesus comes out and if he sees his shadow, we'll have six more weeks of winter. 30, 50, 70 years ago, America's morality, the public morality was based upon the Ten Commandments. And now about the Ten Commandments, people say, you have your opinion, I have mine, who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Christian America is gone. It's not coming back. Now, being raised in Christian America was a great blessing. I don't regret it. I thank God for it. But one of the things that happened was the nature of faith could get fuzzy. You understand that there are the things of man, the things of the culture around us, and then there are the things of God. The two are separate. You and I are citizens of both kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God and of heaven. In Christian America, those two got blurred together. They got homogenized. They were kind of mixed up because what you heard at St. Lawrence in church was reinforced in the culture out in the world. That's all gone. It's all gone. And the blessing now is, and remember we're talking about what you and I believe about Jesus down here. The blessing of living in this time in America's history is that the things of this world and the things of God are seen to be totally separate. And when push comes to shove, faith means following the things of God even if it brings you into disrepute and uh, in, in among the people of the world. That's the blessing that this time teaches me and you again or maybe for the first time to understand how radical it is that we are following Jesus Christ. Peer pressure from America aside, it is a radical thing that you say, I believe in Jesus Christ. See, in the Bible, faith has two aspects. One aspect is in here, subjective, internal. It's your feeling. 
what you feel and then what you think about what you're feeling. It's all in here. Now that's not wrong. We all have this aspect of faith. I'll tell you, come Easter, there are hymns that I cannot sing because I think about all those who have died in the faith and whom I miss dearly. The question is, is what you have in your being, your feelings and your thoughts, is it correct or is it wrong? So in the Bible, the second aspect of faith is not in here, it's out there. It's not subjective, it's objective. It's not a feeling that you might rationalize, but it is a truth. The second meaning of faith in the Bible doesn't come from you or me or American culture, it comes from outside. And when it comes from outside, if you pay attention to it, it grabs you, it claims you, it demands that you follow that outside revealed truth. Now what is that external object of faith? It's not your family. Family is a gift from God, not to be despised, but that's not it. It's not your health. Health is a gift from God, and we appreciate that when it leaves. Health is not the most important thing. It's not making America Christian again. It's not going to happen in your lifetime. The new normal is the new abnormal. And the external object of faith is not Martin Luther. Now God used Martin Luther to bless us and the church through his work and his writings. But the last thing that I know is Martin Luther's body is still in its tomb underneath the pulpit in the castle church in Wittenberg. That external object of faith is not your congregation or the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And I love the congregations I've been associated with and I love the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, but that's not the external object of faith. You know what it is. What comes to us from outside Jesus Christ, his word, his promises. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. He's the object of faith. He's the one who claims you. He did it in baptism and he's doing it right now. Do what the world will do. Let them apply all the peer pressure they will upon us. Faith means we're following him come what may. Martin Luther wrote about faith. And let me share with you a few sentences that he wrote 
in the preface to the Romans. Faith, however, is a divine work in us which changes and makes us to be born anew of God. It kills the old Adam and makes us altogether different men in heart and spirit and mind and powers, and it brings with it the Holy Spirit. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that the believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. Get that. You. My son-in-law is from Texas, and they say all y'all. I don't mean all y'all. I mean Dale. I mean you. You are staking your life on Jesus Christ. How radical does that get in this world that has wishy-washy opinions about the Savior? The believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. This knowledge of and confidence in God's grace makes men glad and bold and happy in dealing with God and with all creatures. And this is the work which the Holy Spirit performs in faith. Because of it, without compulsion, a person is ready and glad to do good to everyone, to serve everyone, to suffer everything, out of love and praise to God who has shown him this grace. Thus it is impossible to separate works from faith, quite as impossible as to separate heat and light from fire. Remember the second mission question. Whatever they're saying out there in the world, Jesus says, you, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Blessed are you. Put in your name. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The motto of Concordia Seminary is light from above. And that's what we're talking about. Remember Peggy Noonan, everyone's in the dark looking for the switch. Not you, not me. The light has come from above. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the God who said let light shine out of darkness. We had a had an eclipse party at the seminary. About 200 of us got out there and with the special glasses and we saw the magnificence of the creation. God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Timothy, Paul writes, he writes to the vicar, but he writes to all of us. It is God who saved us and who called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to the fact that you might be a religious person, not according to the fact that you're holding down a pew this Sunday morning, 
not according to the religious work that I'm preaching or a minister or any of that stuff. He called us not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages, but now revealed through the coming, the epiphany of our Savior Christ Jesus, who destroyed death, and here it comes, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is a light that we can look into. This is a light that you and I desire to look into because the darkness wants to intrude upon us. But looking into him who is the light guides us on our way through life. The students often hear it's a bad time to be getting into the ministry. No. This is a blessed time to be getting into the ministry. Because it is the Lord who is the Lord of the church. The future of the church does not hang on our shoulders. It hangs on him who hung on the cross for our sins, who arose again for our eternal life, who ascended and is present with us now and who will come again at the end of time and you and I will see him eye to eye and he will take us to the heavenly inheritance forever. It's not our church. It's his. It's not our ministry. It's his. And this is a great, great time to be the church. I'm going to put a footnote in here. 9-11, it happened in 2001. Vicar, how old were you in 2001? Twelve. Twelve. Acolytes, how old were you in 2001? They weren't born yet. Look at what the Lord of the church is doing. The oldest memory that I have of a historic time was the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. Some of you have memories that go back farther than that. Those of us who have gray hair look back and we see all that has been lost in American life and church life. And we grieve the loss. You know, you grieve when somebody dear to you dies, but you also grieve when something precious is lost. And so older generations look back at all the changes that have happened in life, and we grieve. They're new to life. They don't look back and grieve the way many of us do. They look forward with hope, with idealism, with optimism. Now we know from experience that 
that's going to get tempered. Life is going to hit them, and that knocks some of the rough edges off. But my point is this. Why should old Lutherans be down in the mouth about the church when right here in front of us we see the Lord of the church raising up a new generation that is ready to go out in the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ? It is a great time to be the church. And those of us who have gray hairs need to radiate that light of the world with all people, but especially with the younger generation who is growing up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me wrap this sermon up with a quotation and a gesture. The quotation comes from Reverend Arnold Kuntz, who was a pastor and a president of the Pacific Southwest District. President Hoseman remembers him, a great, great man. And he wrote a devotion in a book called <laughs> Devotions for the Chronologically Gifted. Got it? Devotions for the Chronologically Gifted. And here's what President Kuntz said. Life narrows down. And don't you know it? I mean, we see institutions narrowing down, Sears, Penny. We see the institutional church in some sense of crisis. And you know from your life, and I know from my life, yeah, it narrows down. Dr. Kuntz, life narrows down. And crisis comes. Suddenly... Only one thing matters, and there, in the narrow place, stands Jesus. Breaking news. Arise, shine, your light has come. It's a great time to be the church. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.